But really, the story of Easter never gets old. The story of Palm Sunday never gets old. And Passion Week is so rich and it's so detailed. You know, if you read the Gospels, um, so much happens in the first half of each Gospel. And, and the first half of every Gospel spans about two or three years. But then you get to the last half, it all takes place over a couple of days. It's like time stands stills when we get to the week preceding Easter, um, and we get details as to what Jesus was doing day in and day out, day and night. We see where Jesus was and what he was doing. Um, Monday through Friday of Passion Week, we know where he was and who he was with and what he was saying, and that's incredible, isn't it, that we have the very words and details of Jesus' life that last week on earth. Um, But the week kicked off in such an incredible way. We looked at Mark's version this morning, but Luke's version is very special, and I want to look at it tonight. So let's go ahead and read together, follow along with me, if you will. Luke chapter 19, verse 20. 28, the Word of God tells us, when he, or when Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite of you, where as you enter you will find a colt or a infant donkey tied uh, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. So that those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? Or as when, why are you getting that one? Why do you want this one? It's just a child. It's not even been trained or been broken. Why are you taking that one? And, and, And of course, they say to him, the Lord has need of this one. They brought him to Jesus and they threw their clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as they went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he drew, as he was now drawing near to the the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the almighty works they had seen, saying or singing, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I'm going to shut that so it doesn't uh, blow away. Uh, But that story is so incredible. And there's a couple things that stand out for me from this text. Um, I love that Jesus in the scripture goes out of the way to emphasize the importance of the donkey. Isn't that incredible? I mean, there's a lot of uh, incidental details in the Gospels, a lot of little things that we maybe skip over in the Bible that you think, you know, why is that there or for what purpose was that recorded? But there's a lot of verses in there, right, about Jesus wanting this specific donkey, even some dialogue between the owners of the donkey and his disciples. I mean, it could have just been a simple, well, hey, we need a donkey because you can't ride into town without something right but no this wasn't just any donkey it was a cult it was still attached to its mother and Matthew tells us that its mother had to come along with it Jesus wanted this foal he wanted this cult for his entry this day this is not something that you normally would ride a dignitary into town on we don't know the backstory of the cult but it's fun to imagine more isn't it Maybe he was the runt of the litter. That's probably why he was still with his mother. It was a mama's boy, and he couldn't be separated for anything important. It was unsold. It was unused. It was not broken because it really wasn't good for anything. 
In such a busy season, there were so many visitors coming into town, there weren't many vacant vehicles in town for people to rent. And by vehicles, I mean livestock because they didn't have you know, cars, right? But there was a lot of people traveling through Jerusalem and everybody wanted a horse or a donkey or a mule to ride on and there was just this little donkey left. Maybe this donkey was thought to have no purpose and be of no use. Maybe people thought it would amount to no good, which is why the disciples have to emphasize to its owner, we need this one. Maybe the owner was like, you know, you don't really want this one. I mean, you know, there's probably somebody else in town that's got a better one. But the disciples say, we don't know why the Lord wants it. We just know that he said he needs it. Isn't that good? He didn't need any of us, but he has chosen all of us. Amen? It makes, if that makes you want to shout, I might not can hear you, but God can hear you. Uh, because we have an awesome God, a gracious and kind God who loves even the most unqualified and the most broken of us all. You know, the enemy in sin in this world attempts to and sometimes does a good job at tying us up and binding us up and disabling us and sometimes even defeating us. But Palm Sunday is just the beginning of the story where chains can be broken, where burdens can be lifted, and graves can be emptied. Because like Jesus said to that little donkey, he says to your sin, and he says to your pain, and he says to our shame, and he says to our fears, and he says to our failures, loose them and let them go because I need them for something special. He said to Lazarus a couple days before this, unbind him and let him go because he is free from the grave. He says over us, His word over us tonight is freedom and liberty, salvation and redemption. Reconciliation is a word we talk about. It means two pieces that were torn and thought to be separated forever, being brought back together, being mended and being united. The promise of salvation in Christ is you can be redeemed, you can be restored, you can be reconciled to God. And John 8, 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the story of Palm Sunday. Even this donkey, a symbol of some of us, right? Bound up and wondering if there's ever going to be a future. Right now, we're stuck in our homes, right? We're stuck in our cars. But God says from heaven, I've got a plan and I've got a way. You just wait because I'm going to unbind. I'm going to loose. I'm going to free every one of you. Of course, the star in the story isn't just the donkey. It's Jesus, right? And verse 37 tells us that everybody in the crowd that day was praising God for the mighty works they had seen. And how about this? They had seen many mighty works, but God hasn't stopped doing mighty works, has He? He never stops, as the song says, He never stops working, even when we don't feel it and even when we don't see it. He is at work. He's been working since the days of Jesus, but... He has done some incredible works since the days of Jesus. He started a movement and it's continued on. He's been doing mighty works ever since. He's been doing mighty works in your life. He's been doing mighty works in our midst. But we got to ask ourselves, are we rejoicing and are we praising God for all the things that we've seen? I mean, I know we want to see another miracle right now, but are we still praising God for the miracles we've already seen? How about it, church? Think about all that He's done in creation, all that He's done in history, all that He's done in your life. And since He never stops working, should we ever stop worshiping? 
I know things are a bit down right now and we're kind of bummed out and I, I understand, right? But can anything bring down the mighty works of God? Can anything overshadow or overrule? Should we allow a threat from the enemy to become more pressing than the promise of God? Should our fears and anxieties be greater emotions than our praise and our worship? No, they shouldn't. And we can't stop praising and worshiping. We ought to sing like verse 38 says and leads us to. He is our king even in the bad. He is still our leader. You know what kind of leader Jesus is? You know where he was headed when he was riding into town on that donkey that day? You know where he was headed that week? Not to some comfortable throne where people would serve him, but to a cross where he would serve, not just serve, he would suffer for us. You know, when things get tough, earthly leaders and kings often abandon their people to ivory towers. They look down from far above and they wonder if we're going to be okay, but they're okay and they don't really worry more, do they? But Jesus is a good shepherd. He lays his life down for the sheep. All the bad we ever faced and will ever do was brought down on Jesus on the cross. Do you know that? He suffered under our sin, under their sin, under all sin. He suffered under the sorrow and the pain that is bringing our world to its knees right now. All evil and all bad and all sorrow, He suffered in its place. He identified with everything that we faced, but He faced things we could never imagine as well. He bore judgment and wrath that we deserve. He didn't just face our sin, He faced the punishment for our sin. He welcomed trouble on Himself so that we could be rescued from our trouble. Can you imagine that? As God watched over all of creation, as they reject Jesus in unison this week, can you imagine His anger and His heartbrokenness? I mean, Genesis says that it grieved God that He made people and they rebelled against Him. But can you imagine how God must have felt this night, this day, this week, when His own people rejected Jesus? And yet when Jesus hung on that cross, what did he pray over the crowd that had yelled crucify him and over the crowd that were cheering for his death? He prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In the moment when God wanted to funnel wrath on the earth, Jesus said, no, no, Father, bring it on me. Jesus took separation and isolation so that we could experience connection and presence with God. So here's the thing, if Jesus rescued the whole world from being judged by God from being sent to hell, don't you think He'll rescue us right now? 1 Peter 2 says He bore our sins in, the, in His body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we are healed. We were straying like sheep, but we have been returned to the shepherd of our souls. Now, I know we might go through this valley a little longer than we'd like. We may even cross over this valley into heaven. But either way, don't you think we are right where we need to be? Don't you think we don't have to wait on a miracle to worship? We can already start worshiping in advance. You know, Good Friday was the darkest of all days, but the brightest of all days was just 48 hours away. Keep that in mind. Our God is able, but even if He chooses not to deliver us, we're still going to praise Him, aren't we? You know, the devil hates to hear the praise of God's people. Is that right? 
Remember when Daniel, uh, Daniel tells us about his three buddies that got thrown in the fire, right? Or we're going to get thrown in the fire, and they say to Nebuchadnezzar, Listen, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us and bring us out of this fiery furnace. But if he doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, we're not going to bow to you, and we're not going to stop singing, and we're not going to stop worshiping. We'll go down, and we'll burn out with a song. And then the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, the expression on his face was so vengeful and so vindictive, he ordered the furnace be turned up seven times because the devil hates when God's people won't be silenced. He turned the fire up so hot that it torched the men who were standing at the fire waiting to throw the other guys in. The enemy hates praise. He tries to stop it and distract us from its point. He gets churches and Christians arguing about worship more than agreeing and singing together, right? But verse 39 tells us that even on this day, the Pharisees said, Would you please tell these people to stop singing? Because they knew what worship would do. Worship is a weapon in our spiritual warfare that we wage every day. Worship breaks the power of oppression. And back to that scripture about loosing and letting go, worship can loose and let go us from our battles. Acts 16 says when Paul and Silas were in prison, that at midnight they prayed and sang, and the people around them started listening, and they started singing too. And an earthquake came, and the prison walls started shaking, and the door started opening, and everybody's bonds were unfastened. Worship confuses the enemy and confounds his forces. There's a story in the Old Testament I want to remind you of before we quit. Israel was facing a bad situation and they had been doing all that we have been doing. They were praying in 2 Chronicles 7, 14 every night. Lord, we're turning to you. We're turning from wickedness. We're looking to you. We're humble. We're asking for miracles. And God wasn't giving them a miracle. They weren't getting there yet. And the scripture says they were surrounded by enemies, some known and some unknown, some seen and some unseen. And the scripture says that Jehoshaphat the king gathered all the nation together, proclaimed a fast and proclaimed a season of prayer, but none of that was working. And the enemies were getting closer and closer. So they came together and asked for help again. And they said, Father, we've done all that you've told us to do. We've sought your face and we've turned from wickedness. And you promised, you promised if we did this, you would hear from heaven. You would heal our land. You would defeat the enemy. And God, we're waiting. The Spirit of God rose up a prophet in that company that day. And he says, listen, guys, God is still in control. Let's not give up yet. Let's not be afraid or be dismayed. This battle's not ours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, we're going to go down and face the enemy. We're not going to hide anymore. We're going to go face the enemy. We're going to position ourselves and stand still. We're going to see the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid. It's going to happen. And the Bible says that Jehoshaphat got on his hands and knees and started worshiping, and the choir started singing and praising God. And early in the next morning, they went out into the wilderness, into the unknown, and they began to stand And the prophet said, I want you to lay your weapons down. I want you to lay your swords down. And I want you to pick up a trumpet. And I want you to start singing. And when we start praising and we start singing, God's going to do a miracle. We're not going to fight with flesh and blood. We're going to fight with the Spirit of God. They begin to sing, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. And the Scripture says in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 22, 
When they begin to sing and praise, then the Lord set ambushes against the people of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, and all the enemies were defeated. You hear that? When they begin to sing and praise, then the Lord set ambushes against the enemies. And the people of Moab and Ammon stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, and they began to fight each other. They were in dismay, and they destroyed one another, and Judah came out victorious. Now more than ever, we need to lift up our voices. The enemy is going to try to convince you that it's not the same this year because we can't sing the hymns we've been singing for decades and we can't sing the songs we've been singing for the season. We don't have instruments or choirs or bands, but the enemy can't take away your connection to God. Whether you have a skilled voice or no voice, your heart can sing and praise God. And when the devil turns up the heat, you turn up the volume. He's still worthy of being praised as King of kings and Lord of lords. We should still stand and sing, O Lamb of God. We're going to still sing about His blood this week and His cross this week and His resurrection this week because now more than ever, this year more than ever, we need to rise up and go to war against the forces that work against our world right now. The enemy's rubbing his hands together because he thinks he silenced the church and the Christians on the most important week of the year, but we're not going to let him be proven right. Let's be louder and bolder and more passionate than ever. Let's lift up our voices and raise our volume. Let's raise our weapon of praise and slay the evil forces that work against our world. Because greater than the power in our world is the power that's in us. The blood of Jesus, the spirit of His resurrection are greater and more powerful and more able to break every chain, reverse every curse, and raise every grave. I know this year is different. But that just means that the blessing is going to be different. And even greater than ever before. Don't listen to someone try to water down your praise and your enthusiasm this year. Because verse 40 says, if we're silent, the rocks are going to start crying out. In Romans 8, it says that creation cries out every day. The earth has been quaking a lot lately. It's hurting. And it's waiting for redemption. All of creation was made to praise, so let's not be outdone by the rocks. And let's not be outshined by the stars. Let's worship like we've never before this season. Let's exalt and lift up on high the mighty and marvelous name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, your Savior and my Savior, our Savior, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. This battle isn't ours. It's God's. And if He can go to war on a cross and come out on the other side and ascend to heaven... We have nothing to be afraid of. Now listen, folks, I might, we might all wake up tomorrow and we might all be in heaven, whether by rapture or by disease. I don't know what's going to happen on this side of things, but I do know one thing. We can't lose. I can't lose. This week has the potential to be the best and most powerful and most spirit-filled of your life if you turn the volume up every time the heat gets turned up a little bit more. Would you pray with me? Father, 2,000 years ago, there was a parade thrown for Jesus. 
Lord, those folks thought Jesus was going to become their king that week. Little did they know he was going to a throne higher than the one in Jerusalem. But when they found out he wasn't going to a throne they could see and a throne they could touch, they bailed out. They backed out. They quit. They gave up. Even the disciples quit believing. One even betrayed him. But Lord, you took them all back three days later when you showed them you had power greater than of this world. Lord, I know a lot of us have been shaken up by this disease and by this virus and by the fear, but Lord, you're ready to take us all back if we're ready to understand what's going on. Lord, we know that you are at work right now and there's a battle going on and you're waiting for your people to rise up with their trumpets and with their voice. Lord, we've got more social platforms than ever. Let's use them to, let, to exalt who you are. Let's shout, let's sing, let's praise. God, we thank you for your presence and your power. We thank you for your mighty name that we can find rest in. We thank you for your promise. Lord, let us rest in your power and your peace. Lord, let not the rocks cry out more than us. Give us courage and boldness to praise you more than ever before. If it's just us and our loved ones on our back porches, if it's just us and our loved ones in our homes, Lord, let us sing louder than ever. Lord, let us not turn to sin or wickedness in this season of idleness and worry. Let us not waste our days on vanity. Lord, our answers are not in bottles or government or dollar signs. Our joy and our peace is not found in sports or hobbies. You are the answer and you're all that we need. You alone can save and you alone can deliver. You alone are God. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, our hearts turned towards you, our faith only in you. No matter what, you're all that we need. You provide our daily bread. Forgive us for substituting you for lesser things. Deliver us from temptation towards inferior things. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever, now and forevermore. Lord, we pray, even so come. Even so come, Lord Jesus. But in the meanwhile, let us praise you more than ever before. We ask for healing. We ask for power. We ask for victory in Jesus' name. Amen.